Today's podcast is a special episode for all my listeners. We'll get to the content in a second, but I want to be very clear right now that the story I'm about to share, I specifically am talking to white ruckus makers that listen each week. Black lives matter. Three words and really all that needs to be said. I believe we're in a pivotal point in our history. As a leader, you have a choice. As a leader and a white male, somebody who has power and privilege because of the skin, it was just the lottery of DNA. I have a choice and I'm not going to be silent. Black lives matter. On September 4th, 1957, Elizabeth Eckford was walking to her first day of school at Little Rock Central High School. She had to bravely navigate a sea of angry white people who visibly showed what they were all about. There's an iconic photo, I'm sure you've seen it, depicting the sheer ugliness, hatred, and evil that is racism. A 15-year-old Hazel Bryan follows behind Eckford and is screaming at her peer, someone that would be attending her school. The Little Rock Nine had to endure this evil, this racism, as the white mob screamed for children, 15 years of age, screaming for kids to be lynched, chanting things like two, four, six, eight, we don't want to integrate and to go back to Africa, which is a side note, is an utterly stupid thing to say because of, you know, slavery, black lives matter. The Little Rock Nine never made it to school that day. The Arkansas National Guardsmen were ordered by the governor of Arkansas to stop the Little Rock Nine from entering high school. If you've been watching the news, we had a similar force recently guarding the Lincoln Memorial. The juxtaposition of history and how it repeats itself is so thick with irony. I don't even know what to say. President Eisenhower had to step in. That was leadership to integrate our schools. It was the right thing to do. And it's something, in my opinion, which is sorely missing in Washington, D.C. today. So it's your choice. I truly believe we're in a moment in history like the Little Rock Nine where you can choose. I can choose to be an ally and fight the good fight, to be anti-racist. Or you can be silent because of your privilege. Or worse, you could be like Hazel Bryan and be like the angry white mob calling for the lynching of kids. Black lives matter. Hey, it's Daniel, and welcome to the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast, a show for ruckus makers, those anti-racist, out-of-the-box leaders making change happen in education. In this special show, I'm going to turn the mic over to a friend, a colleague, a leader that I respect and admire, Dr. Sheldon Al Akins. Sheldon joined the school leadership series team in the 2019-2020 school year. And a quick story about that. In the mastermind, a year or two ago, I asked uh, members to question tradition that exists in their school. I did that because a lot of times tradition doesn't serve a kid, a parent, a staff member that still exists within the school. And an assertion I'm going to make, tradition often too, these sacred cows, they're very often rooted in prejudiced and systemic racist policies. They need to be eradicated. And the mastermind members got that. We clearly had a a very high level discussion about what they can do. But I faced a dilemma. What do I do? 
I started Better Leaders, Better Schools in 2015. And what were the traditions that, you know, I created? So I looked at the books that we read in the mastermind and I saw a lot of white males. So I've made a conscious effort to make sure we're bringing diverse voices into the books we read. Then I looked at the guests on the show. And and to be frank, I've never had any white male say no to an interview on this podcast. That's fine. There's no judgment there. I have struggled in getting female leaders and leaders of color on, on, on the podcast. I've reached out. Folks don't always say yes, and that's okay. But I realize there's a gap, and that's my gap to fill. I need to reach out double, triple, five times, 10 times the amount to have a better representation in our guests. But the easiest uh, tradition I was able to challenge was, do I have to host my own podcast? And I started the school leadership series. I don't know if it was 2017, 2018. At this point, season two, we're going to be getting into season three here for the uh, 2020, 2021 school year. And I said, okay, I don't have to host my show. If I believe in diversity, let me create a team of 12 members that represent a lot of different voices that exist in education. And through the platform I've built as the most downloaded podcast in education, I'm going to amplify those voices. And that was the best thing I did in 2019. It's the thing I'm most proud of. So for the 2021 school year, I've built a team of 24 and we're bringing even more diverse voices uh, to the table. And that's the school leadership series. So here we'll, we'll pivot because what I've done for this Black Lives Matter special episode is I've taken some shows that awesome leaders, leaders I respect and admire so much have put together and I've repurposed them because you might not listen to the school leadership series. And even if you do, you need to hear this message again. So these issues will be brought to you by Dr. Sheldon L. Akins. He also has a podcast you should check out. He's the host of the Leading Equity podcast. And he's going to talk about privilege in this episode. And he talks about also this privilege walk and this empathy walk. And to be honest, that was one of my first experiences, understanding that I had white privilege. I was at the University of Illinois. Dr. Arlette Willis, who taught me to be a teacher, had us as students do this way back in, I think that was 2000. And I saw how unfairly I was in front of some of my other peers. And and these peers were obviously peers of color. And that was privilege and power and things uh, that that I didn't do to earn or things that they didn't do that disqualified or put them at a disadvantage. And so it's a very visceral activity to do. And Sheldon's going to walk you through it, plus give a whole bunch of other value. So I hope you enjoy the show. And don't forget, Black Lives Matter. Have you ever sat down to think about what biases you may have in your leadership? Who is your favorite teacher or staff member, student, or parent at your school? As much as you would hate to admit it, you might have favorites at your school. These are the individuals that you tend to be more comfortable with. Often our level of comfort and favorability towards individuals and groups stem from the implicit biases that we may have. Subconsciously, we make assumptions and judgments about people based on stereotypes, lived experiences, and our overall perception of the world. As a result, the most well-intentioned school leaders are not aware of their prejudgments and assumptions of their students and staff based on stereotypes associated with their students' social groups. As leaders, 
We all have biases and prejudices. Even though we have always been taught not to judge and not to be prejudiced, it is impossible not to do these things. However, we can always work on addressing our biases through reflection and continuous education. Self-awareness is key. It's a pivotal piece in leadership. Being aware of yourself, your values, and your level of comfort provides access to potential biases that you may have. So here's today's challenge. Take a moment and think about who are the individuals that are your least favorite. Why are they your least favorite and what can you do to change that mindset? When you start to become more aware of the possibility that you may be discriminating against others, it may make you feel anxious and uncomfortable. Do not let your level of comfort cause you to avoid social groups that are different than yours to manage negative emotions. Instead, acknowledge your biases and the things that make you uncomfortable as a step towards becoming a more equitable leader. I challenge you to develop authentic relationships with individuals who are different than you. Yes, it is important for your students to see you take more interest in their backgrounds, but also the relationships that we form outside of the classroom can have an impact on implicit bias. Developing a relationship with individuals outside of your social in-group circle may help decrease your prejudices and alter your view of negative stereotypes. Additionally, Getting to know other cultures, especially the cultures of your school's community, helps you become more receptive to the diverse students in your school. Have you ever watched the YouTube videos in which students participate in this empathy walk or privilege walk? Maybe you have participated or facilitated one of these privilege walks yourself. If you're unfamiliar, here's how it works. Everyone lines up horizontally on a line and listens to statements a facilitator calls out. If the statement is true to you, then you take a step forward. Sometimes the statements require you to take a step backwards. These statements are usually centered around privilege as this activity has a goal to help you recognize your own privileges. Some examples are, if you were raised by two parents, take a step forward. If you studied the culture of your ancestors in elementary school, take one step forward. If you have a disability, take one step backwards. At the end of the activity, you are to look around and see where you fall within this privileged spectrum. The challenge with this activity is that it may further perpetuate dominance. Sometimes there is no real debrief that engages a meaningful discussion on privilege and the students or the participants kind of just walk off and feel a certain way. Ultimately, this activity may further marginalize individuals or create a sense of embarrassment, as those who have more privilege are asked basically to learn from the challenges of those who are oppressed. Instead, I facilitate a different activity called Privilege for Sale. It's a simple activity to help individuals understand the privilege that they may have, that they may not have realized that they have, or that they may have taken for granted. It's simple. You divide the group up into smaller groups. You give them a certain amount of money, fake money, of course, and basically say you have to buy certain privileges with this money that you have. And, you know, some only have $500, some only have $1,000. It just kind of depends. And each privilege is worth $100. 
And so the groups get to choose which privileges they want to purchase. And again, the idea is for those who participate in this activity to realize, wow, these privileges that I may have or that I may not have, if, you know, how do I decide on which one do I have? And again, all of this has to be facilitated afterward. There has to be a really nice, engaging debrief to really tie everything together. So why do I like the privilege for sale activity and, and why do I think it's important? Well, as educators, we all have some form of privilege. Depending on who you are as an individual and your work environment, the privileges may increase or decrease. The important thing is that we recognize that we have privileges and try to see the world through our students' eyes. So my challenge for you today is to take a step back and consider how your privileges impact your leadership. Try to reflect on how privilege plays a role in school policies and procedures. Investigate if these policies are placing students, teachers, and the community at a disadvantage. Then work on finding ways to improve policies that are more inclusive to your school stakeholders. When we consider how today's education in the United States is supposed to provide individuals with the preparation needed for upward mobility, we must consider if that upward mobility is equitable for everyone. As leaders, it is essential that we are comfortable with addressing the academic and social needs of all students. If your school has students that have been historically marginalized and underrepresented in higher education, assess the pedagogy provided at your school and if there's room for growth. Careful attention and emphasis should be placed on students that are coming from disadvantaged backgrounds when advocating for college. However, it is not a matter of associating students with labels because this may invoke feelings of isolation and resentment. Students should not feel singled out as being poor or showcased in a way that promotes the school over the students. It shouldn't matter that a student would be first in their family to attend college or coming from a limited income background or students of color or a combination of any of the characteristics mentioned above. Labels should never get in the way or be used to define the path of learning. Instead, students need to know that they have allies with them at school. Find ways to connect with students and be mindful of conversations within the classroom that may make others feel inadequate or uncomfortable. For example, during a class discussion in which a student is bragging about their parents' wealth or showing off in some sense, try to acknowledge the comments in a way that you can steer the conversation back to the textbook or original discussion. If any of the staff at your school grew up with similar backgrounds and experiences as your students, allow them to share their personal stories with students to encourage them that they can also have opportunities for social mobility. Additionally, as a leader, encourage your teachers to invite members from the community to speak to students about their stories that are similar to your students. Let students know that it is okay to be different and how important it is not to let societal barriers define them. When discussing labels on students, Dr. Gloria Ladson-Billens once said, we cannot saddle these babies at kindergarten with this label and expect them to proudly wear it for the next 13 years and think, well, gee, I don't know why they aren't doing so good, end quote. Consider how students that are labeled as disadvantaged or at risk and how that may translate into the classroom or during a school counseling session. 
Should a teacher lower their standards and expectations for students in their class? Or should teachers continue to challenge students and strive to bring out the best in their kids? What about school counselors? Is it okay for the school counselor to label students as military bound, trade school bound, two or four year institution bound? When we place our kids in a box, we implicitly and explicitly develop expectations for them, which translates into the way we serve them. If a teacher lowers their standards and expectations because they assume the student needs accommodations, the student's true college and career readiness potential is impacted. Furthermore, unintentional bias towards instruction may shape a teacher's perception of expected behaviors of students associated with a particular label instead of addressing a student individually. I recognize that not all students are the same and that differentiated instruction is necessary to reach all students. Differentiated instruction, however, does not mean lowering standards of education because a student's background or IEP requires accommodations. As school leaders, we need to be cognizant that a combination of labels may impede progress towards a student's college and career readiness. Are we too sensitive? Is it time for us to lighten up? Earlier this week, I facilitated an implicit bias workshop to a group of -of out-of-school program leaders. And during this training, we got into a discussion around microaggressions. Now, if you're unfamiliar with microaggressions, they're basically the unintentional interactions that send triggering messages to an individual in relation to an attribute associated with their identity. An example of a microaggression could be asking an Asian student, can you help me with my math homework? The person asking this question may have the intent of saying, I need help. But the message that translates to the Asian student may be a result of a stereotype that all Asians are good in math. The Asian student may be triggered by this exchange and become upset or annoyed. So I pitched this question to the group that I was discussing this with. When we're talking about microaggressions, a common response is that people just need to lighten up. Are we being too sensitive? In this day and age of politically correctness, should we just learn to let things go? There was a woman in the audience that raised her hand and said, you know, this is very, you know, very small issue, but I have red hair and all my life, especially as a kid, I was always teased and told, oh, you have a temper and because of my red hair and I'm so fired up, kind of these these comments used to come my way and they bothered me. And so when I had kids, I had five children and one of those five children had red hair as well, my son. And she went on to tell us how it was so important to her to make sure that her son didn't experience the same type of microaggressions that she experienced when it came to his red hair. And so, and the fact that she would try to protect him and try to teach him how to regulate his emotions and, and control his anger so that these stereotypes wouldn't be perpetuated and he wouldn't be labeled with his red hair as having such a hard temper. My response to this woman in the audience was, that's not a small thing. See, we could never really gauge or understand truly the impact that microaggressions have. We can't assume that we understand these microaggressions. Even when we have the best intentions, we all have biases and assumptions. I've made plenty of mistakes, 
by making assumptions based on stereotypes and social norms. The key is learning to develop empathy and respect towards those who feel that they have experienced a microaggression. Accepting that we have made a mistake or offended someone is not always easy, especially if we are called out immediately. I recently had a conversation with my good friend, Ken Shelton. He is a phenomenal speaker and equity expert, as he likes to put it. He's an advocate as well. He shared with me about the Maasai tribe in Africa. See, the Maasai people place high value on their children. It is traditional to greet each other with Kassirian Inger. Translation is, and how are the children? Before they start any meetings, as they, if they haven't seen each other for a while, their hello and how are you tradition is, how are the children? Even individuals who do not have their own children, they respond with, all the children are well. Can you say that at your school? All the children are well? All the children are well signifies that we are actively pursuing an equitable learning environment for all of our students, not just our favorites, not just the well-behaved, straight-A students, those who we have identified as having potential of being great. No, all the children are well. I wonder what would happen if we shared the same mindset of the Maasai people. Now, the Maasai people are known for raising warriors. They have many customs and rituals signifying the importance of raising children to their best ability. We have to have that same mindset by placing our children's well-being at the forefront. That should be the first priority. Here's my challenge for you today. Develop a culture in which greeting each other involves asking, how are the children? If you're talking to a fellow teacher, if you're talking to a custodial worker, if you're talking to a principal, administrator, begin that conversation with, how are the children? How are they? Again, as educators, we should strive to ensure that all children have access to the resources that they need to be successful in class and life beyond school. Initiate that culture. How are the children? Start all meetings, your board meetings, your faculty meetings, district level meetings, interactions with individuals in your school community by starting off with how are the children? Thanks for listening to the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast, Ruckus Maker. If you have a question or would like to connect, my email, daniel at betterleadersbetterschools.com or hit me up on Twitter at Alien Earbud. If the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast is helping you grow as a school leader, then please help us serve more ruckus makers like you. You can subscribe, leave an honest rating and review, or share on social media with your biggest takeaway from the episode. Extra credit for tagging me on Twitter at Alien Earbud and using the hashtag BLBS. Level up your leadership at betterleadersbetterschools.com and talk to you next time. Until then, class dismissed.